Hello everyone, my name is Ed Kemp and welcome to the Speak Up podcast, a podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. The current COVID-19 environment has led to a number of challenges for organisations, including sustaining team alignment, stretched leadership teams and disengaged people. Speak provides CEOs with a tailored and proven approach to sustaining team engagement, encouraging tough conversations and empowering people to deliver outcomes and results. Regardless of the situation businesses face, identifying the critical issues, dealing with the elephants in the room and developing a go-forward plan must happen quickly and repeatedly to drive impactful outcomes. Our experience tells us that whilst embedding sustainable improvements in mindset, behaviours and capabilities is critical, it all starts with getting the team on the same page and engaged. Over the course of Series 1 of Speak Up, you'll hear from highly experienced leaders who will share their views on leadership and team alignment, their challenges, perspectives on what worked, how they've navigated COVID-19 and the cultural issues that inevitably get in the way of being on the same page and staying there. I hope is that these conversations will get you asking yourself one very simple question. Am I on the same page with my team? And if not, how can I help us get there? If you're not sure whether your team is aligned, getting curious is the first step. You can also reach out via our website, www.speak.com, to find out how we can help you and your team get on the same page and stay there to optimise performance. Today's guest on the Speak Up podcast is Margot Farachi, Managing Partner Financial Services at Derwent, Australia's leading C-suite and board executive search firm. Derwent helps businesses by identifying and connecting with high-impact talent, and they are a champion of diversity and courageous to alternate outcomes. Derwent is fast-tracking the debate around changing workplaces and workforces and how talent makes a difference. After starting off in the law, Margot transitioned to business banking and then to leadership roles in that sphere, first with Macquarie, followed by stints at NAB twice and the Commonwealth Bank. Margot has led at scale, for example, leading 1,400 bankers and millions of customers through the first COVID wave in 2020. Margot cares deeply about leadership, understands through lived experience that leading is hard and knows that organisational alignment will get tested regularly as businesses and people change. Hello, Margot. Thanks very much for joining me today on the Speak Up podcast. Tell me a little bit about your career journey and what led you to transition from banking to helping Derwent's clients uncover great talent. Well, great to be here, Ed, and hi, everyone. Look, I've always been really interested in how we treat each other, and my career started, well, my career started as a lawyer, but I didn't get much opportunity to treat anyone like anything doing that because I was doing a lot of work on ASIC forms and documents and not much interaction with human beings, not a great suit for me. So in the end, I went into business banking studying at Macquarie, and because my family was in business, I really knew what a difference the bank can make to a business, I knew what a difference you can make if you're authentic and if you're honest and if you truly partner with people and um, and if you have an intimate partnership, which includes conflict and getting through it. Then as I rose through the ranks there, I became more and more interested in leadership as a way to make sure people are treated the right way because let's face it, Ed, most people have to come to work and we can really give them a better day at work if we lead well. And so that was the driver for me right through until... Uh, the biggest leadership role I did, which was last year running 1,400 bankers across Metropolitan Australia for NAB in the business bank, and now in executive search, what we do is put C-suite leaders and board members in who I'm really confident will ensure that people have a good day at work, and that has ramifications right across the market because if you've got the right leaders, then that makes sure your employees get a great experience and they're happy, and that makes sure your customers get a great experience, and employees plus customers equals results. 
And I mean, the interesting thing about that is that a good day at work permeates across everybody's lives from the perspective of you walk out having a bad day, you're probably going to have a bad day when you get home. You're going to take it out on your family, your kids, whatever, and you're going to be feeling pretty down about yourself. But if you go in there with a really positive attitude and you get treated well, it's going to be a hell of a lot better result for everybody. Tell me this, how do we lead well? What do you consider to be uh, the traits of a leader who leads well? I think bravery is really important. So talking about a good day at work, it's not always going to be positive. There's going to be times where you've heard something from your leader that if they're good, that you don't want to hear, but you know is in your best interests. There will be times where, as I said, you have conflict. And as long as it's respectful debate and it ultimately takes the business to a higher place because everyone knows that the intention is a greater good intention to take the business to a higher place, that's important. I think there's more bad leadership around than I'd like and I'm always surprised and disappointed, which is kind of why I'm on a mission. I think the big mistakes for leaders are that they don't address things. I think people shy away from addressing what they need to address. You know, there's the toxic high performer that never gets pulled up because they bring in the dollars and actually is creating a whole lot of interference and, and tension in the system and probably holding a lot of other people back from being a high performer. And then there's the really nice underperformer that we all really like but who doesn't do the job properly and everyone's always covering up for, but has been there a long time probably and is a really good person. So, you know, understandably, a lot of leaders, they're they're the two biggest themes I see. A lot of leaders just don't step into those conversations and deal with them and that can have ongoing consequences for the rest of the team. And do you think that in your experience that leaders are generally not equipped to actually deal with the tough conversations and the difficult conversations, whether that's the way that they approach the start of a conversation, which can then really add, the, you know, create the tone for the remaining part of that conversation. Do you think they're actually equipped these days to to be able to address these issues in the right way? Yeah, well, I think when we say leaders, we're just talking about people. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a leader and a person are not two different people. The way you lead is how you are anyway. If you're a brave person anyway, and that's important to you, that's one of your values, you'll find a way. I think the trouble is... If you haven't seen those kinds of conversations done well, you're not equipped. That's where your question comes in. Sometimes all you've seen is that sort of lower authenticity leadership and so people don't have the language, they've never seen it done so they don't know it's possible, they're used to just putting up with and so they expect their people to just put up with as well. And I think still there's a big problem there with there is still a really big theme in our corporate world around doing what the boss says and not questioning it, which I think is hugely, hugely dangerous, particularly if you've got a high growth agenda, if you've got a transformation agenda, you really need respectful debate. You need everyone bringing forth their views. And if they're not capable or they're not willing to, you're not going to get your high growth and you're not going to get your transformation or you will to an extent, but it won't be sustainable. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is that creating safe spaces and allowing people to actually have those debates without any ramifications, especially negative ones, is incredibly important. And I think that really leads into a conversation about alignment and making sure everyone's on the same page and ensuring that they're all doing what needs to be done in order to get the outcomes that the organisation or the division of an organisation wants. And if we talk about alignment for a second, 1,400 bankers I suspect, right around the country. How do you align 1,400 different bankers so they're all doing, you know, they're all pulling for the same goal? And get them all working from home within five days <laughs> in COVID. With, I mean, it was, it was very, very difficult time 
because, you know, it was in that first lockdown in March last year and the team had just come together and we had to get everyone home. And as you know, business was falling over backwards and they were desperate for us to get the money and we had some really dire consequences where business owners just couldn't see a way through and had really dire mental health problems that our bankers were sitting at home on their own trying to work with the clients on. So how do you get them aligned? Well, I think it would be how do you generally get people aligned? Number one, everyone comes to the table with their own values and beliefs and their perspective that, you know, if you believe some of the psychology is all set in then by the time they're seven. You know, haven't the Jesuits got a saying? If you show me the child of seven, I'll show you the man. That's pretty much it. And, you know, the psychologists sort of say that too. You can retrain your brain, but a lot of it's in you from depending on what's happened to you by that age. So everyone comes to the table with their different values and beliefs. So, you know, everyone can nod at the table and say they agree, but they all might walk off with their own reservations because, and it might be, am I going to be strong enough to do this? I don't really trust the person sitting across from me. I think I'm good, but I don't think everyone else can deliver. Maybe I'm not good enough to deliver this. And so... First of all, there's a competency question. Do you have the right competencies around the table? And if you don't, call it, call it early, call it truthfully, call it honestly, and help the people who aren't going to be around to take their next step, but don't muck around on that. It will just be a noose around your neck if you do in terms of performance. Do it respectfully and compassionately always, but do it. So secondly, you know, make sure you've got the right competencies at the table. Always test for what lies beneath. You can test for that. Are these people who have high courageous authenticity? Are these people, is their work preference going to be when things get a bit tricky, do they go inward within themselves? Do they bang the table? Either way is fine as long as you know and you can play to it. That's really important. If someone's going quiet, find out why. But the safety is all important, as you said. And if you believe you've got the right people around the table, you should be able to create the safety for everyone to speak up. And then if you look at that from the point of view of creating the safety and, and if you like giving people confidence, I can remember promoting a fellow many, many years ago who came to me and said, look, I don't think I can do this. And I said, well, I know you can do it. You've got the skills there and you give them a confidence and confidence is such an amazing thing in any form of life, whether it be, you know, sport or work. If you give someone confidence and you know they've got the competence, they should thrive. And the interesting thing for me, what you said before about making sure you've got the right people around the table, if you haven't, that's obviously an issue. Talk to me a little bit about your experience when, you know, you've got people who are square pegs in round holes and you've got to manage them respectfully, but you also know they can't continue to be with it, do what they're doing. Mm. Um, the point on confidence, I'd say I can't create confidence in someone else. I can't build it for you. What I can do, though, is create confidence in you that I'll do the right thing by you. So, you know, even if you're feeling insecure within yourself, there's nothing I can do about that, but I'm not in control of the other person, but you can be confident that I'll do the right thing by you. And that includes when you're the wrong person, to answer your question. So when I was new to leadership, I just rescued everyone. I just thought they can get there. I know they can get there if I believe in And I did their work for them often and drove myself quite mad doing it and had two young kids as well. So... Interesting that we all survived those phases in our careers. It's completely overloaded. And from that, I learned that I was never going to be a leader at scale if I kept doing that. And actually, you know, once you get into leadership, once you've done it a few times, you actually know pretty early on 
you know, trust your gut, you know pretty early on. And the conversation is actually, depending on the situation, you know, but it's honest, it's compassionate, it's with care, it's unapologetic, don't get in there and apologise for the decision you're making, and it's with an authentic intention to support them in whatever they do next. Now, if someone's done the wrong thing and there's misconduct and all that sort of stuff, still respectful and compassionate, absolutely, but really can't drive. You know, and you won't be writing a reference for that person or getting on the phone to anyone to advocate for that person. But it has to be respectful, compassionate, and generous. I think, in terms of you know how they leave. Yeah, I've certainly heard a few conversations. I haven't been on the receiving end of any, thank God. But where someone says on the way out the door, and look, if you'd like a reference, please just give me a call. It's like you've just sacked this person essentially. Well, they're rescuing. They're just trying to make themselves feel better, and you know we're all human. No one enjoys doing it, and that's why everyone avoids it. Not everyone. That's why a lot of people avoid it. These are difficult because you're dealing with people's emotions, their livelihoods, and all of the things that go with that. And everyone's worried: what happens to his kids if he's not working for me? Where's his income going to come from? If you do it respectfully and compassionately, that's the most important thing. And you have to always remember: you're not responsible for someone else's life. You're not responsible for someone else's financial situation. You must be respectful, compassionate, and generous on the way out. You absolutely must. It's a really good piece of advice. Now, based on conversations that we've had with plenty of Speaks clients over the course of the last year or so with respect to COVID, you know, it's obviously preventing the usual getting together at workplaces and that's a hugely important part of most people's lives. Now, that's leading to the things like lack of connection. It's looking to overstretch leadership, insufficient team alignment, a whole range of problems that if they're not addressed, they can cause massive issues inside businesses. If you think about, you know, the importance you place on organisation alignment. Tell me some of the outcomes you've had to deal with in your career where everyone isn't aligned and you've got to bring them back around in order to make sure that they're all singing from the same song sheet for want of a better expression. Okay, so alignment can mean a few different things. We all need to agree on the hill we're going to climb and how we're going to climb it. That to me is alignment. You're not going to climb the hill unless you're aligned on those two things. And it might be that we all bring different things and different capabilities in climbing that hill, but you must get that. Where you don't have that, what it creates is isolation in your leadership team. It creates factionism and it actually creates fear in your employees because they're getting a whole heap of different messages. They're having a whole heap of different conversations and that will then create a dislocation in your customer base. Because if you just think, and I always do, employees plus customers equals results, if your employees are sitting in fear and isolation and kind of lost and frozen, that will come out in different ways in your customer base. It will come out in lack of discretionary effort. It will come out in the gossip that gets into your customers and that will ultimately impact your results. So alignment is not just the right thing to do. but It's actually a performance imperative. In terms of having to bring people back, If you think that you're at the table and everyone is aligned and then it turns out they're not, I think the answer is as a leader, you have to ask yourself why, you know, and what have I done as the leader to contribute to this misalignment? And maybe it is we didn't cover off everyone's fears. Maybe we didn't clear the obstacles. Maybe what was unsaid that we didn't talk about. So ultimately the leader needs to take responsibility for what's happening in their team. I think that I really believe the only thing you can control in our corporate lives is the team that you choose. And if your team's not working, that's on you as the leader. Make a different decision. Look at your own leadership. Examine yourself. Examine the decisions you've made. 
and be really honest with yourself and, and coaching can really help with that. So if you're not aligned, try and work out why. Ask the team why it surfaces. Don't hide it. Don't expect everyone to speak up there and then because that can be confronting. Hope that they will. You know, if you've been together a while and you've done a whole lot of work together, then you can hope that they will, but not everyone will. And you just need regular checking points. When everyone leaves the table and says they're aligned, you really need regular, robust check-ins on that because as soon as you say you're aligned, something's going to happen. As soon as you walk out the door or finish the meeting, something is going to happen to that team to test their alignment. You make a great point about the fact that it's, this is a continuous process. Getting people on the same page, depending on where they are and the situation they're in, is difficult. Keeping them aligned, I would argue, is more difficult because it's a continuous process and it's dynamic. Alignment is, it's not static, you know, because things change. And as a result, organisations change and people change. And the idea of having to check in on a regular basis is a significantly important factor, I think, in getting people on the same page and keeping them there. And I think really importantly is, you know, what you were aligned around on day one, it will be tested on day two, three, four, five, six. It absolutely will. The minute you say you're going to do something, you'll get obstacles. So you absolutely need to keep checking in because otherwise you're never going to get there. And if new obstacles come and you need to actually change your alignment, you need to change the hill you're going to climb and you need to change the way you're going to climb it, that's all right. That's a smart thing to do. doesn't mean you doggedly stick to the first hill. You know, if you get new information and there's a better way to get the performance you want, go after it. And I think the trick is knowing when to do that and when not to do it, when to stick to what you've got. With the times that we're living in now, everything's so dynamic that you can't just stick mm. your pole on the ground and say, this is what we're doing regardless of what happens. There is an opportunity if you get new information or something happens and you've got to pivot, you need to be able to go back to your team and simply say, hey, guys, we're going from Everest to Kosciuszko, for example. Well, where do you guys think we should go with this yeah. information? Tell us how you're all looking at it, you know. I'm going to have a big idea. The guy next to me is going to be across the data. Someone else is going to be thinking about the people impact. Someone else has heard whispers in the market. You know, we're all going to bring our different lenses to whatever that obstacle is and then together we work out if we're still going to go the same direction or if we're going to change. But that's a real trick, I think. Do you think leaders today listen to their people enough? I think some do. I said before, I think there's still a lot of people who, and look, it beggars belief, you know, in search now, I still can't believe that there are a lot of leaders who think it's everyone else's job to do what they're told and they think their job is to do what their boss tells them. You know, this complicity, this organisational complicity is what has led to every organisational failure ever. If you think of all the great corporate failures and scandals, you know, across the world, it's always been people ringing the bell at the junior levels and no one listening or people scared to ring the alarm bell because in our culture we don't raise the alarm bell, we do what we're told, always. This aspect of complicity, I think, is a huge problem, which goes back to the point, how do you get around it? Well, you create safety, you know, that we were talking about, and you employ people who have high courageous authenticity and you test for that. But, yeah, I do think there is a problem with people listening, with leaders listening to their people. And then there, there are some, a smaller portion, I think, who overcorrect and listen too much and actually don't draw a line in the sand and say, thanks for your views, this is the hill we're going to climb. Yeah, and the organisational complicity and not questioning people, I think, is something that really starts in schools. You're taught to listen to what the teacher says. You're not actually necessarily encouraged to question what they say. And I think that can permeate through, to your point, seven years old for the rest of your life. And I think that having seen it live a number of times, you empower people if 
you create an environment which allows people to ask questions and respectfully disagree with each other. The alternative is if someone asks a question they get shot down, that's the end of the conversation. But not only is that the end of the conversation there, that permeates through the organisation as well. No one wants to put their hand up and say anything for fear of being admonished as a result. And I think that questioning issue is a significant one. And if you think about when you were at the bank, how did you create the environment? Was it purely just by letting people see that when someone asked you a question or challenged you, you were just prepared to listen and take on board what people were saying? I think the first point is everything we do, whether we're at the top of the organisational chart, wherever we are, everything we do, every interaction we have is a symbol about who we are and it resonates. So whether I'm a leader or not officially on the org chart, every time I listen or don't listen, every time I shoot someone down, every time I get impatient, you know, everyone's going to be talking about that more so when you're at the top of the org chart. So, you know, that's really important. I think generally in banking, and I'm sure there's other industries where this is true, rightly, banking does attract a lot of people who are naturally have a lot of compliance in them. And you want that in your bankers. You know, you want safety, you want compliance, you want people who are good at following rules. That's what keeps the bank safe. So, and therefore, you know, serving customers mostly in a very safe way. So that is a challenge. It's a real challenge. And without going into which organisation or where, I've never been hired to be a BAU leader. I've been hired as someone who, you know, I can't count the number of times I've been asked to shake things up. And I think that's what they mean. That's what people mean. That's what they hire me for, which is that transformational energy, which means, you know, I'll listen. I absolutely will be respectful to what's come before me and I'll do it my way. And actually, you become quite a talent magnet if you do that. Like, I've never had a regrettable loss from my team. Like, no one's ever left that I thought, gee, you know, I didn't see that coming or I didn't want them to. It's it's always been someone I've exited or someone that I've helped get their promotion or whatever it is. I think if you're known as someone who's going to listen but also have some strength around decision-making, then that takes care of itself because you actually attract the right talent and you have to be just so vigilant about making sure that there's people in your team who will disagree with you and who will feel safe doing that. And I always, you know, start every meeting with, I want you to tell me what I'm not seeing here. Here's the way I see it. Tell me what I'm not seeing, you know. And it's hard in a bank with all those compliant people. Honestly, it takes ages for people to actually tell me what I'm not seeing. But we get there in the end. Tell me what you've taken out of your banking career into the executive search land because you're now dealing with, I suspect, peers from the perspective of where you've been and what you're now looking to place into into other businesses. What are you seeing out there? What, what are you seeing from the perspective of talent that you're hoping will become great leaders in the organisations that you're working with now? I think the first thing is the leader can change the game. I'm highly purposeful in what I do. Look, really, what everyone needs to understand is the war for talent is over, talent won. So we all just need to act accordingly and... If hiring managers believe that it's a unilateral buying decision and it's up to the candidate to turn up and impress them and the hiring manager doesn't need to, you know, do any of them impressing themselves, they've lost. They've absolutely lost. There's no top talent at the moment who's just in one process. Whoever we're talking to is in a number of processes and our clients want transformational energy. They want high growth. They want transformational financial services, so they should. You know, we do need to transform as an industry. I care a lot about the industry. I've served the customers in it for 20 years. And transformation is absolutely required. So that's what hiring managers are looking for. And happily, most of them do understand that it's a talent short market. 
for the talent that they're looking for in terms of that transformational energy. And if you talk about the transformational energy, you're talking about the way they do business, so the way the whole organisation's operating. You're talking about the way they interact with their clients, the way they interact with the internal people that are part of their team. Where's the transformation? Because in the banking sector, you've still got to swim between the flags and I'm not sure, I haven't worked in the retail side of things in the business banks like you have. Where's the real key transformation that you believe needs to happen when these people come in? Uh, Well, digitisation is critical and, you know, a real return to what is the core of banking, which is being customer-centric. So, again, not just doing what my boss said to do, not just doing it because it's been like this forever and we've been around forever and we don't need to worry about performance, but actually questioning everything and creating the uplift that you need in order to, you know, be a key player. Now, we work in the mid-market challenger brand area, Ed, so we don't do, you know, I'm not working with the big four that I've worked with, worked in before as a leader. So you would expect our clients in challenger brands to have a challenger mindset and to be wanting to do things differently to take market share and indeed bring in new markets. And clearly customers and their people with them, which is is clearly important. And we're going to shift gears for a second before we wrap things up. Tell me what you're reading, what you're watching and what you're listening to. Oh, my God. So uh, I'm reading, this is so obscure, I'm reading Martin Boyd, A Difficult Young Man, which I read in first year uni. I had to study in first or second year uni. And the Boyd novels, Early Australian Colonial Settlement, it's just escapism. Everyone had very good manners and was very polite and it just takes me out of lockdown. (laughs) Um, What am I watching? I'm watching – well, my kids are in an age now where they're, you know, sort of – we don't get any adult TV time without the kids. They stay up later than we do at the moment. So everything is a compromise. We've just finished – the Lord of the Rings, which took ages, is dialogue light and has a lot of battles and therefore not that interesting to me. But <laughs> I get I get the hero's journey, I get it. But, huh, you know, the hobbits and the dwarves and they've all just got long hair and um, it's hard to tell the difference. My mind wanders. So happily now we're watching Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez, Sting, Tina Fey. Great, just come out, have a look. Uh, and what am I listening to? I'm listening to... All the stuff that my teenage kids are listening to, fresh, great stuff. Tyler, the creator, Kanye's new album, cool stuff like that. And I'm listening to Smartless podcast, which is Jason Bateman, Will, Sean, the three comedians, and they interview interesting people and they basically just have a crack at each other for 45 minutes. It's hilarious. That, that sounds great. You should throw in the Killer's Pressure Machine in there as well. It's, I'll do that. Um, that's I'll on high that. rotation in my listening sphere at the moment. Tell me this, what do you describe or you consider to be the biggest challenges that leaders are facing today? I do think we're at an inflection point. I think for leaders who can't truly understand that flexibility is a mindset, not a policy, and that if you need to see your people every day to make sure that their output is where you want it to be, then it's actually on you as a leader. You've hired the wrong people and you're not a very good leader. You know, I've been working flexibly for 15 years and I've left organisations if they have won't support it because it's too important to me as a mother. But that is a concept whose time has come and any leader who doesn't understand that, and I'm not saying we all need to be home all the time, but we certainly don't need to be in the office five days a week. Any leader who doesn't understand that and thinks they're a command and control and that's going to win, forget it. Just on that, what's your view on organisations at the moment who are wanting to mandate their workforce to come back to work five days a week once uh, all these lockdowns are sorted out? I wouldn't claim to be an expert on every industry. What I would say for the industry I know is that 
it's unnecessary. And so, of course, you need to have some structure around it, but I'll keep coming back to it. The war for talent is over. Talent one. If you start mandating things just because you feel like you need to see everyone every day, then that is on you as the leader. You have the wrong people and the right people will actually leave because they can get more flexibility elsewhere. Yeah, and what you said before, I think, is the example of a courageous leader who's not prepared in your situation if you didn't have the flexibility you needed as a mother, you'd simply go somewhere else. And I think that's a really interesting example of, of being courageous and, and uh, if you like, questioning the status quo, which clearly can't doesn't provide people with great workplaces if they can't do the things that they need to do for their family as well as, as work. Yeah, absolutely. And mothers, fathers, caring responsibilities with older parents, whatever it is, we should all be able to have a level of flexibility. And if we're not trusted to do that, you're in the wrong place and someone else will take you because if you're talent, you're in high demand. Exactly. Now, the final question which I ask everybody, and this is a little bit of self-reflection, thinking back to when we were a little younger, describe what you know now about leadership and alignment that you'd wished you'd known when you started your career. I wished I'd known, like I talked before about how I kind of rescued the world and just assumed everyone got it and assumed everyone was up to scratch. They're not. And so I made it very, very hard for myself for the first few years of leadership by making excuses and not really dealing with the reality of, I just made it really, really hard for myself. I had young children and I was absolutely just burnt out because I was not making people accountable and therefore they couldn't grow, you know, so I probably didn't do the right thing by them either because they weren't right for the role, you know, and they stayed in the wrong role too long and um, so it wasn't good for me and it wasn't good for them. Margot Farachi, thank you very much for joining us on the Speak Up podcast. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Ed. Thank you for listening to episode three of the Speak Up podcast, a podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. Speak supports CEOs and their teams to optimise leadership and performance with a tailored and proven approach that builds trust and delivers outcomes. To find out more, visit www.speak.com, spelled S-P-I-I-Q-U-E. Please keep an ear out for the next episode of the Speak Up podcast and please subscribe and share it with your friends. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe and stay curious.